Riley Bang. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the latest in our series of Spoilers Special Podcasts. This one is dedicated to Lee One L's, the Invisible Man. Oh, and uh, joining me to discuss this movie over the next hour-ish or so are three of my finest colleagues of such lethal cunning. We are joined by Geek Queen. I can see you, Helen O'Hara. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. You were wearing a suit entirely protecting cameras, That's but true. it hasn't worked. And it I'm, just looks really heavy. <laughs> I mean, but it's, it's fashion, Chris. Please yes. don't, you know, I've elevated my look. Also, what are you doing right now, Helen? You are literally, this is how professional you are, you're preparing for the next spoiler special whilst we're recording this one. You know, Bye. What are you doing? I'm reading The Colour Out of Space. This is incredible. I just read The Colour Out of Space Wikipedia entry. Wow. <laughs> you should see how that stuff ends. Uh, we are also joined by, oh, look at him. Aww. He's so, so lovable and sweet and innocent and pure. It is, of course, Alex Godfrey. Hello, Alex Godfrey. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm living. You weren't expecting that, were you? No, I wasn't. I was not even paying attention to what you were saying, but I heard my name. No, that's that's that's, that's how you that's how you respond. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and last but not least, of course, we are joined by the the inimitable. I've tried. It's very difficult. You don't have a very easy voice to imitate Ben Travis. No, Midlands accents are a bit nothingy. It's a, I bit, don't, a, little, it's a little bit northern. It's a little bit southern at the same time. Bit of uh, both. Okay. Bit of both. Pointless. Um, I'm quite unnerved. We're sitting in a room. <laughs> With two empty chairs. Mm. And if the invisible man taught me anything, it's that there's no such thing as an empty chair. I came out of the screening room, like, sort of waving my arms in all directions around <laughs> me just to make sure there was nobody approaching. Oh, that was you being yeah. escorted off by security, was it? <laughs> Where are there security? I couldn't see anyone. I just felt myself being pulled they along. They were clearly visible. Oh. We'll get into this on the other side of this intro because we're not the only people I'm going to be talking Invisible Man with. First of all, you're going to hear from the all too visible man who wrote and directed the movie, the brilliant Lee Wanell. People who may listen to the podcast before know that the last time Lee was in the uh, the pod booth, we had an absolute well of a time talking about Upgrade. Well, really not really talking about Upgrade, but pretty much everything else. But this time we tried as best we could to remain focused. But I'll be honest, there was and there is a little bit of Julian Werner Herzog's going on at some point in this interview. Uh, it is really, really fun and we talked about all sorts of stuff. So as ever, and listen, I know that you're listening to this, so therefore you want to hear the spoilers and you're likely not listening to this by accident, especially now we're behind a paywall. But just in case somehow you are listening to this interview and this podcast and you haven't seen The Invisible Man, and that is not a contradiction in terms, then stop listening right now, highly to your nearest cinema, see The Invisible Man and then come back. Okay? Right. The rest of us can continue. This is me talking to Lee Wanell. Oh, and by the way, I should say, if you haven't seen Upgrade, his last movie, see Upgrade, because we do kind of accidentally, organically get into an Upgrade spoiler special <laughs> at a various points as well during this. So here I am talking to Lee Wanell about The Invisible Man and occasionally the end of Upgrade. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on this very special The Invisible Man spoiler special. I'm going to keep saying the word spoiler just to see <laughs> Lee Wanell's face to change color. <laughs> because uh, you're 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 less let's be let's, we can be open about this, Lee. Yeah, you're you're uncertain about this concept, right? No, it's it's it it's it, it feels wrong. It because because you're so trained with movies to be keeping secrets. So it mm. before the movies come out, there's a part of you that dies inside. When you're like chatting about it, but 
you assured me that all these people have done this. And that yeah. made me feel a lot better. You, yep. you held my hand and took me down Spoiler Road. Sorry, Spoiler Street. The spoiler double, double S would have been better. I know. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. It's going to take go, a while to warm up. we got to go for alliteration. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to ease you in really gently. Okay, okay? Let's do this. Honestly, okay. there's a lot of stuff. I've seen this movie twice yes. now. I love it. And there's a lot of stuff to get into. Okay, okay let's do it. But the question on everybody's lips is, <laughs> is there going to be a spinoff for Taylor, the annoying waiter? There, there really should be. Taylor the waiter. You know, he was a young man who uh, was not an actor, but he was American. Mm-hmm. And that was it. You just, you're American. Yeah, You'll do. Well, we, were, we shot the film in Australia, for those who don't know. The film mm-hmm. is set in San Francisco, but it's actually shot in Sydney. Uh-huh. Sydney pretending to be San Francisco. Um, the aerial shots of the city were actually shot in San Francisco. We didn't build a replica of the Golden Gate Bridge <laughs> in Sydney and shoot it. We didn't have the money for that. Uh, so Blumhouse were- is just firing at the cash. Yeah, exactly, just- exactly. Uh, this film is set in San Francisco, shot in Sydney, mm-hmm. and the and we were auditioning people for the waiter role, and I looked at this young man's tape and I thought to myself, that's not an Australian doing an American accent. That's an actual American. And it just so happened that this dude from California happened to be in Sydney and I was like he's he has that waiter thing in his bone marrow because he actually is American you know I was like you can't fake that he knows exactly what he's doing and I, I loved what he did <laughs> he's pretty damn good and we'll, we'll talk about that scene yes uh, because that's a Gasper that scene right Sorry. We've just been, our, our podcast has our been sp- interrupted. Our, okay. our spoiler special has been spoiled. It's been spoiled. <laughs> yeah, what's going on there? That was Chris Nolan trying to shut you yeah, down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Is that what's going on in here? You're not talking about the ending of Tenet, are you? Do you know the ending of Tenet? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I know nothing. Do you know something? I thought you would. I uh, know. I, I can't say anything. Uh, it's a palindrome. That's all I know. That's, okay, that's all I know. It looks funky and weird and creepy. But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely all in for for Tenet. Uh, but that's usually with these things we start with the end. But I want to start with the beginning of this movie. Right. Because I think the beginning of this movie is fascinating uh, in that you start in media res, you start with Cecilia already in the beginning of, you know, she's got her escape plan ready. She wants to get away. And we don't really see Adrian that much as a presence in the film itself. Mm. There's two interesting choices right off the bat. Can you talk about that? Well, yeah, I I wanted to keep the character of Adrian uh, mysterious. One of the things that I thought to myself when I first took this job, I mean, the first day I'm sitting down in my office with the notepad, there's always that moment with screenwriting uh, that I refer to as the cold wind of reality, which is basically you take a job, you're a little bit excited because there's a new job and then there's day one and you're sitting there and you've got a blank notebook in my case or a cursor just blinking at you. There's not a word written and you realise, oh my, I've got such a mountain to climb. And, and and when I was in that stage of writing this movie, the first thing I wrote down in my notepad is how do you make this how do you make the invisible man scary again for a modern audience? And the one of the ways I thought of was to make him completely mysterious and unknowable, you know, rather than making him the central character, make him a background player. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't want to know much about him. The less you know, the more scary he is, is the way I see it. And also with the opening of the movie, I wanted to drop the audience right into the film. You know, some films take 15 minutes to sort Mm. of let you get to know the characters, ease you into the movie before everything goes wrong. I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to start with, uh, I wanted to drop you right in the middle of her situation. Mm. Uh, In a way, you're sparing the audience an ordeal there as well, because I imagine to get to that point for Cecilia, 
it involved a lot of very, very horrible stuff. Yeah, um, I mean, I didn't. I, I feel like the audience's imagination sometimes fills yeah. in that gap a lot better than you could ever do with a camera and some actors. Uh, funnily enough, I also think there's a safety in seeing the sort of you call these dishes clean yeah. scene or whatever. You yeah, know, yeah. The, 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 there's a familiarity. I, I feel like if you want the audience to be tense, you you have to subtract information. Part of being tense is not knowing exactly what's happening and the, I don't want to say frustration, but the, the need to know is it contributes to your tension. Once I've got the ins and outs of a situation, there's a safety in that mm-hmm. once I know exactly what's going on. I didn't want to do that. Um, so that's why I just started the movie, bang, like, let's get into it. Mm, absolutely. And that, that fills in the blanks in terms of Adrian's personality, in terms of he's someone to be feared. Uh, yeah. He's, you know, she's petrified of, of waking him up. Uh, Any the slightest bit of noise, just... Elizabeth Moss is fantastic in this movie. Yeah. Right, she's, rightfully off. She, she tells you the story. She, exactly. And also, I'm, I was hoping, I mean, you tell me, I was hoping that his house told a story about him as well. Like you, mm. through that opening escape scene, I wanted you to learn a lot about this guy through his architecture, his art, his car, his, it just, it, you, you, you get these pieces of who he is. Mm. Even the fact this dog named Seuss is presumably in there as well. You're the first person to mention that, but that is very deliberate, like yeah. in terms of, you know, the way he sees himself and everything. So this is clearly a guy with a, with a bit of a God complex. Yes. Um, but there's a, there's another, there's another spanner in the works. Uh, and it's interesting watching this movie a second time around. Mm-hmm. Because I was watching and listening more accurately for the sound of the suit, the sound right. of the investment yes. cameras, <laughs> and it's there right from the beginning. Yeah, it's there right from the beginning. That that lovely shot where you uh, you pan across from Cecilia getting her escape uh, kit ready, and you you hold on this card over the longest moment. The first time around, people might go, "What what is this shot?" And you go back, yeah, to Cecilia, yeah. What is this shot? Second time around, we hear the suit. Uh huh. That's Tom, isn't it? Tom's there from from the beginning. Uh, no, 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 Tom. Okay. No. So for me in this movie, Tom, the only time Tom put the suit on was at the very end when Adrian, in fact, I cut a scene from the film where Tom was sitting in his car and Adrian called him and said, you have to do this thing for me. Right. So, I, you know, I don't know if people are that clear on it, but I'm not, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the fact that people are a bit like, wait, where, what's going on here? Whereas for me, that's the only time he really put on the suit, Tom. Okay. Or at least put on the suit in this movie. Oh, that's interesting. It's, it's like what you could hear in that corridor shot was just the suit coming out of that lab, like the sound of the suit kind uh-huh. of, it was just kind of in this house, you know? Okay. So there's nothing there necessarily watching her. No, not at that time. Oh, that's, but, okay. But many other times throughout okay. the film, there is, you do hear it and he is standing there. Adrian yes. is there. Yes. And that's interesting. Okay. So uh, immediately we're resolving a, an argument, a very fierce argument that broke out yesterday. Because <laughs> uh, a, a few, I saw- Desks my, were <laughs> spilled over in the Empire <laughs> yeah, offices we, that day. We, we were actually at a screening. We had, we were so furious we went back to the office just so we could fling desks at each other. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was like, no, it's Adrian. No, it's Tom, you fucking idiot. Uh, so there was, a, there was a debate between uh, a few of us. I mean, you could say if it was going to be anyone, it would be Adrian. Yeah. It would be Adrian at that point. Okay. 
I mean, he's a creepy motherfucker. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess yeah, it'll make sense. Yeah. So um, we yeah, we were arguing back and forth about the the plot, the, the idea, the revelation at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this wonderfully ambiguous reveal at mm-hmm. the end and uh, Cecilia's ultimate revenge. And uh, was Adrian in some way genuinely a victim of all this? Uh, was Tom the grandmaster behind it all? But no, it, no. Is, it is Adrian the whole it, time. Adrian was the grandmaster. In fact, he was the one that manipulated... Tom. Tom says in the film, like, um, my brother controlled me. Mm-hmm. And then Adrian tries to, he does what the classic narcissists do, that he rewrites history. And in that scene with with Cecilia right at the end, he says, you know, Tom controlled me. He was, which, which is where you project your reality onto someone else. Yes. A few politicians, I can't think of their names right now, but <laughs> I'm thinking of several politicians who do this. Um, but, uh Adrian always in control of everybody, everybody mm-hmm. in his orbit. So Tom was like a, a kicked dog. He was like a, he was this sort of like wounded little fragile person because his brother was so controlling and had him help out with this whole thing and was manipulating him at all times to do what he needed him to do. So you, when you're sitting down for the first time with the uh, the, the flashing cursor mm-hmm. on your screen, I imagine you write longhand. Uh, I, just <laughs> I, I, do, I don't. I don't actually write the screenplay longhand, but I do spend my favorite part of screenwriting is not writing. Oh yeah, I love that too. <laughs> yeah, not writing is the best. Not doing anything. Yeah, um, kind of paid procrastination. So I try to stretch out that period for as long as possible, the not writing period, and during that time, it's all about a notepad and a pen, just jotting down various ideas, any scrap of an idea that comes to mind. I'll try to fill up a notepad before I get going. And, um, yeah, that's usually how I start. So so how long did it take you to come up with the machinations of this, of this idea? And because it's not supernatural, mm. Adrian... He can't stalk Cecilia twenty four seven. He has to. He has to yeah, sleep. Yeah, he has to exactly. go eat. He has yeah. to go feed the dog. He yeah, has to exactly. go. And also, you've established this a long drive from his house yeah, to yeah. Cecilia's house, so he can't be an omnipresent. Yeah. Well, he was for a lot of the movie. He was sleeping up there in the attic. That's where Whoa. he was. Where his stuff was. In fact, we cut a scene out of the film when she's up in the attic and she looks over and sees a little hole drilled in the floor and looks through and it's looking down at her oh my God. bed okay um but the machinations of the film it took me probably on average it takes me about th- two months to work out the sort of basic structure of a movie mm-hmm. so i kind of start with just a, a vague idea one sentence and then i'll start fleshing that out take long walks i'll i'll, I'll make a soundtrack for the film and like listen and listen to it and uh Hopefully after about two months, you've got this skeleton of a movie and then you have to actually start writing, <laughs> which is that, that, that's the that's the annoying part is the actual, okay, now I've got to type some words. Yeah. <laughs> and did that stuff come easily? Did the, did the things I wouldn't like- say nothing. It never comes easily. Writing writing uh, screenplays to me is, is definitely... Um, it's it's that Fitzcarraldo thing. It's like dragging a boat over a mountain. Like every every time you're like, you know, I basically reached that uh, Klaus Kinski thing where I'm like, it's madness. It's not. That was a terrible Klaus Kinski. But you you might be able to do a better one. Oh no um, no no! Just do a generic German accent. It'd be terrible. Yeah. Although I have been trying to practice my Werner Herzog. That sort of like. Oh okay. Like, but I'm only practicing it. That sort of like life is a series of. 
um, unexplainable incidents, the, the chaos. My, am I getting there? I, I'm working it. I think you need to bring it down a little bit. Bring it down a little bit, yeah, a little down bit here. more. It needs to have the gravitas. Have you seen that interview <laughs> on YouTube where he, uh, Werner Herzog is being interviewed and he is shot during the interview? Yes, with Mark Kermode. You're right, and yeah. the, and 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 uh, and the reporter Mark says, "Oh my God, we've got to get you to a hospital." And he's like, "No, we must power on. This <laughs> these things happen in life. We are shot. It is simply a reflection of the chaos that surrounds yeah. us." Imagine if Tom had said that. Yeah, yeah, four exactly. Times chest. No, yeah, we exactly. Must, <laughs> yeah, we, we must, must keep going. On. We must move on. Um, but the ending of this movie is fascinating, and it also links back to the earlier scene. We, uh, you know, we, you're right. Taylor the uh, the incredible waiter, um, with uh, with Emily being killed in yeah. such a public right. manner. Uh, I've seen this movie twice now with audiences, and both times Gasper, yeah, all over the place. Um, can you talk about where that came from? Well, that was just you know when I'm writing a film, I'm trying to come up with these scenes that will slay people. You know, people, especially these days, as you may know, their attention spans are getting shorter. Sorry, I wasn't listening to that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, what did you say? I was just tweeting. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm above it. When I watch a movie at home these days, mm. not in the theatre, never in the theatre, um, but at home, I'll be watching a movie and all of a sudden the hand starts drifting towards the pocket and out comes the phone and it's Ooh, like... Thank God you finished that sentence. Yeah, and uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> exactly, the hand starts drifting towards the pants and, uh, and, and I'm like, I'm like, where have I seen that actor before? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, yeah. IMDB, oh yeah. That, it's like, it, it's terrible, but, um, you know, these devices in our, in our pockets, they're, it's, it's, very, it's very, very distracting. And, uh, and, um, and I've actually gotten off my point. What was I talking oh, about? Oh, there's, there's irony, bitter irony. It's bitter <laughs> irony. <laughs> you were talking about attention spans, and you've gone. Uh, you were talking about oh, the scene span, in the restaurant. The restaurant. Bang! Yeah. That was it. Bring me back. So the scene in the restaurant when I'm writing a film, it's all about slapping people back to reality, like bringing them back to the movie, not letting them drift, and having these moments that they can take away from the film. Mm. You want them to walk out of the movie theater like, whoa, like. You know, to put it crudely, you want to rip their faces off. And, the, and, and and these are the scenes. The scene with Emily in the restaurant is one where I felt if I got it right, I would really rip the audience face off. Mm. And that's, that's where he's been building towards the, the entire time, hasn't he? He's been building towards something involving Emily, hence the email, hence the Yeah, kitchen. yeah. He's kind of like, it's all about Cecilia and 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 demoralizing and destroying her mm. it's not that he has a vendetta against emily he it's just that he wants mm -hmm. to uh frame cecilia and put her in a situation where she's completely destroyed and reliant on him for a way out um i think one of the things when i was sort of working with my notepad i i was thinking okay so how would you exploit invisibility if you were an evil malignant sociopath and I thought that framing someone for a murder would be really easy if you were invisible. Like, yes. I just loved the idea of that. Of, um, do you remember there's the scene in the kitchen where the knife disappears yes. off the table? Yeah. And that's the same knife she finds in the attic in the which plastic is, bag. Which is why we don't hear it hit the floor, presumably. Right. Yeah. And, but you notice it was in a bag. He's mm -hmm. keeping it in a bag because mm -hmm. it has her fingerprints on it. Mm -hmm. And that's the knife he uses yeah. to cut... Uh, Emily's throat. So See. even the knife, even though he put it in her hand, he was he's always tracking things to like knives that can be traced back to her. Yeah. 
But he's a meticulous kind of guy. I mean, he's yeah. taken a while. You know, he faked his own death, which yeah. is which isn't easy. And yeah. uh, you know, he's built the, these these incredible suits. Um, he's uh, he, he's a true monster in that sense. And there, but there's also interesting wrinkles later on. For example, in the um, in the scene in the hospital when Cecilia's escaping, mm-hmm. and the security guards are some are shot, some are mm-hmm. beaten up. But he doesn't go on the rampage. He doesn't kill everybody. Why? Why does he do that? For example, Nash Edgerton's cameo. He chooses not to kill. Chooses. Him. I think it's because he. I don't. I think it's about power for him, and he doesn't need to kill all those people around him. Like. He feels so much more powerful than these guards. And it's all centered around Cecilia. It's not that he has hatred for these security guards at a psychiatric hospital. It's that they're just standing in his way. Mm. He's been damaged. His suit is damaged. And I think he, at that moment he's really a bit off. But he's still... Have you ever seen an interview with uh, Richard Ramirez, the serial killer? No. I watch all these interviews... With these serial killers. It's a terrible habit of mine. Um, it's the way I pass the time. But they're actually fascinating when you're writing villains. And um, there's this one interview, I'm sure you could call it up on YouTube very easily, mm. with Richard Ramirez before he received the death penalty. But you should see, it's almost a cartoonish version of narcissism. Um, not exactly making for a great radio right now, but the, the faces <laughs> he's making where he's like, the reporter asks him something like, um, it, 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 what's fascinating about it is he can't admit his guilt because he's. I, I think when this interview takes place, he's still in the middle of his trial. Okay, but the reporter asks him, um, you know, something like, "Did you do this, Richard? Are you sick enough to do something like this?" And he says no with his voice, but everything else about his body says yes. He's so proud of it. It's, I mean, as I said, terrible radio, but he's basically like, <laughs> he says he says something like, no, I am merely a man, just a man, yeah. not a power. It's like, it's such a, if he was in an acting class, the acting teacher would be like, let me stop you there. That's terrible, <laughs> Richard. You're, you're overdoing it. You're coming across. The, the, the narcissism is cartoonish. And that's, I feel very much that Adrian is like that in the suit, the stance. And the, it's like, he, he, he does think of himself as a god. You're the one who picked up mm. on that Zeus thing, that godlike. I can think of a politician who, <laughs> who has I a certain th- way of standing. I yeah, I can't really. No. But it's, that's what I was drawing on. It's this, this sort of really almost um, uh, obvious and... Um, and, and uh, yeah, cartoonish is the only word I can think of. Narcissism, where it's mm. like not even subtle. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, so that that's how I feel that Adrian is when he's wearing this invisibility suit. Is he also quite pragmatic in that maybe he senses that the suit is broken, it's glitching, it's showing up on security cameras, presumably why... He needs to get out of Yeah, yeah he needs to get out of there. He, his ego has been damaged in that moment because yeah. Cecilia has overcome him. So there's a bit of taking back the power. But, yeah, he is... He is um, Always thinking of every single possible angle that he could need to get out of something. And that Richard Ramirez comparison is quite interesting. Uh, it made me think of the end when we have that close up of mm-hmm. Adrian's face as he as he's clearly wrestling with something. He, you know, Cecilia desperately tries to get him to confess yeah. on, on camera for maybe more for James's sake than hers. Yeah, yes. Uh, but he won't do it. Now, is he aware that she's maybe taping or is this, again, his... I think you've hit on something there. I kind of feel like he is... He's. That's why he comes over to her and says, um, 
that shouldn't come as a surprise. Mm-hmm. He's letting her know without actually incriminating himself that it yeah. was him that did it. Um, yeah, he is very he he is he he's he's totally aware that there's got to be some situation that he that he he can't incriminate himself like that. Yeah, mm. and then of course there's the poetic justice of yeah. Of his murder, and uh, also Cecilia's um, Cecilia's really interesting in that scene mm-hmm. because whenever she hears the word surprise, this little smile plays across her lips. Yeah, that's right. What she's looking for. Uh, yes, that's the, yes. that's the confirmation she's looking for. Yes. In, in order to go ahead and do what she does. Um, can you talk about where that idea came from of of, of a slitting the throat, b having this having her use the the second suit? And, and um, well, yeah, it was it just away? working out an ending is the hardest part of a movie. Um, I heard a saying once that the, the most important pages of a screenplay are the first 10 pages because that's when you hook the reader in. But the most important moments of a film are the last 10 minutes because that's what the audience takes away with them. It's a weird little dichotomy there because a screenplay has to hook readers to get them in order to make them pay for the movie. Mm-hmm. So those first 10 pages are crucial. If you don't get those first 10 pages right... The, the, you know, the executive, whoever, whoever it is, he or she throws the script on a pile mm-hmm. and moves on to the next. So you got to hook them. But then you also have to have an ending. Like the ending has to be amazing because if you actually get to make the movie, that's what people are going to talk about. You know, movies like The Sixth Sense, that, that ending in that movie rewrites the entire movie. It makes you want to see the movie again to see what you missed or yep. maybe. And so I really spent spend a lot of time on all scripts with the ending. On this particular movie... I knew I wanted some sort of full circle. I wanted Cecilia to use his power against him mm-hmm. and I wanted her to sort of do to, I wanted her to do to him what he did to her sister or you know and and also she outwitted him. I mean she she had it made sure he was on camera. Mm-hmm. She made sure that there was some, there was a witness there. She knew how to use his own power against him to make it look like you know, so I, I I love that. I love when a movie folds in on itself a little mm. bit. I, I did that with Upgrade as well, yeah. where you know you, you you sort of have each person get what they want in a weird way. Like Gray gets to go back to his wife, yeah, and uh, Stem gets to be human. And now he's the real boy, um, wandering <laughs> out of. And but there's like a weird prison <clears throat> if you're if you're trapped in your own subconscious, but the world that you're living in is much better mm. than your own world. Would you choose to go back to the real world, or would you just stay in fairyland with That's your a good point. Yeah, yeah. with the people with the situation that you want to be in? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, endings are, and so it was basically just a lot of thought about how to have the movie collapse in on itself. I love symmetry. Symmetry, you know, I opened the movie with Cecilia's eyes opening and then the film finishes with her closing her eyes. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like the opening shot is her like in fight or flight deer in the headlights mode and the closing shot is her finally relaxing. Mm -hmm. Like only after he's dead could she finally uh, come out of fight or flight mode. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and of course the the, the symmetry as well of... Cutting his yeah, throat I love he, it. I think I think I'm mildly OCD. Actually, I said I think I know. <laughs> I I I, 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 <clears throat> I gave you the PG thirteen version. Um, symmetry, I think, is part of that OCD of like I just want I want the film to reflect itself like a hall of mirrors where the ending speaks to the opening, mm-hmm. and you. Like in Upgrade, you know, he cuts his finger and he licks the blood. Mm-hmm. And then in the last scene of Upgrade, 
the stem. He licks the blood off his finger. It's just a very kind of Hall of Mirrorsy way to make a film where everything is a reflection of the other thing. Absolutely. Uh, Lee, uh, we got to let you go. We're but, getting uh, the wind-up from the publicist. I, I know. Just as you're having a little down-to-down uh, spoiler street. I know. We've gone it's, for... You, you really you really took hold of my hand and you took me there. It was fun. I think we, I think we both had fun. <laughs> I we, think we, we did, we, yeah. we strolled around the park. You yeah. threw in some upgrade spoilers. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, was, I, you know, I was like, you know, know what? Let's have some upgrade. Free. You know what? Let me spoil my next film. <laughs> It's an amazing. I'll tell you where exactly where it goes. Let me ask you about <clears throat> the end of Saw. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what, what's happening there? Um, uh, it's been a pleasure. There's loads of stuff we could talk about, but uh, we're being. Thank we're you. Being Always a pleasure to be with Empire. Work. Brilliant, Lee Winnell. Thanks very much. Cheers. Cheers. All right, so that was Lee Winnell, and I have to say, I've seen this movie three times now. So last night with my wife because I wanted to see it with an audience. Mm. I wanted to see it because the first two times I saw it, it was fairly packed screening, but still fairly established, jaded, cynical, bitter hacks who still responded very audibly and visibly to some of the movie's shocks and jumps and revelations. But I really wanted to see it with an audience last night. It wasn't a packed screening but I still got the gasps that I wanted in that scene in particular. You know that bit, that bit in the restaurant, Mm -hmm. uh, which for my money is, I'm going to say it, it's one of the the great jump shocks. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think at that moment I was in a packed screening and um, I'm pretty sure the person sat two seats down from me accidentally hit themselves in the face at that moment out of sheer (laughs) shock. I think they had a handful of popcorn and were bringing it to their mouth. Because part of that scene is it lulls you into a false sense of, of security. Yeah. It feels like a pretty crowded restaurant. normal scene, mm-hmm. crowded restaurant. She's finally going to get some understanding from her sister. Uh, and then that shock sort of comes out of nowhere. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure she like smacked herself in the face while sort of jumping out of her seat. So that All was right. a pretty no amazing need to bring reaction. Joanna, I, I was at this screening with Joanna, our photography director. And I think it was at, at that moment where she threw her entire cup of wine all over me. <laughs> it was really, really something. I heard about this. It was red wine as well, It wasn't was it? red wine. She was soaked. Um, but uh, I don't know if the audience saw it with, was completely made up of journalists or not. I mean, probably mostly. But it was still the most... It was almost like going to see the Rocky Horror show at Prince Charles mm. or something. Mm. It was... People were responding so audibly. Um, at one point, you know, later on in the film they shoot him and someone went shoot him dead shoot him dead <laughs> confirm the kill yeah I mean it's it, how often do you get that sort of reaction in cinema whatever audience it's just amazing yeah. I, th- I think it's because as well the, the opening scene really really hooks you in like the, the sheer atmosphere of that yeah. opening where she's sort of creeping around the house it really, really demands that you pay attention. It has that sort of a quiet place esque mm. feeling of everybody quiet, zone in on this because you're going to be, you're going to want to be watching closely. And I think it it sort of catches people up in that atmosphere. And you're worried about making noise in the cinema. You're absolutely mm. right in case it uh, wakes them up. But also, I I was a little bit. The only thing that took me out of that scene was I was sort of sitting there going, surely there was a way to get fewer steps into this. You know, surely there was a way to get further along in the process so she didn't have to take so many separate steps to get out of the house and get away. That kind of worried me. What, she could have, like, set up more things so she was like, I just have to go, I don't know, to the kitchen and then out of the garage and then I'm gone. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Like, take the glass with you. Don't bother renting it out. Take the glass with mm-hmm. you and put your shoes on at an earlier stage <laughs> somehow because that was stressing me out. She was still in her freaking 
bare feet. And it was just, it was really tense. That's possibly a, a testament to its tenseness rather than actually a nit that mm. I should be picking. But <laughs> I was just like, woman, come on, get out of there. Jesus. I think the greatest thing about that scene is that before she's even left the bedroom, you're terrified of this guy. Yeah. Yeah. He hasn't even stood up. Yeah. We've not seen any flashbacks. We've not seen him do anything. He's just a sleeping man. And you learn everything you need to know about him just from how shit scared she is. Mm. Let alone, you know, even if she before she scales the wall. It's just an absolute masterclass intention. And it's like it reminded me, because I saw um, Sexy Beast again in the cinema a mm. week called so before that. And it reminded me of that. You you learn everything you need to know about Ben Kingsley's Don Logan before he shows up because of how terrified everyone else is yeah. of him. And it's, I mean, it's a classic thing to do, but it's a really hard thing to pull off. And he's mm. terrifying from the start without doing anything. Let's talk a little bit before we get into it about uh, the portrayal of Adrian Griffin in this movie. And because uh, I, f- I find it's really interesting how obviously he's a huge presence in the film mm. and he's always, well, seemingly always, he has to take breaks to sleep and go to the toilet and stuff. Uh, there's short films in itself, I think. To be, but uh, like, do you have to take the suit off? How difficult <laughs> is it to take the suit off? Is it like a mocap thing? Are you in there all day? Well, it must be. That's an interesting question, isn't it? Because she gets it on and off pretty damn fast pretty damn at the fast. end. Yeah. You know, so there's that. Um, but also, you know, he has to have been able to get up and down to the attic and presumably, like, at least take a wee during the night. <laughs> so that's a that's a question. Yeah. Maybe he just, maybe he has, like, a catheter inbuilt into the suit it, it could be like a like space suits have or a still suit like we'll yep. talk about in June ad nauseam in a few months <laughs> um so you know there there are there are systems yes but we don't we don't know for sure like how does he lie down in it does he is he's up in the attic and anyone who listened to the interview will know that Lee actually cut a scene where whenever uh, Cecilia's in the attic she found like a peephole that he he had drilled in the floor so he could look down and, and watch, her, watch, her, watch her sleeping, which is even creepier. Um, uh, so, but he's still, he's up there sleeping. So does he take it off to sleep? Does he sleep with it on? How do you lie in that thing? Because it's lots of cameras. It surely be quite hard to lie Maybe in. Maybe it's like one of those massage, you know, um, mattresses yeah. with the lumps. Maybe, you know? maybe it is. Maybe it's like the, um, what's it, the, um, the the pillow, the octopus pillow or something, the ostrich pillow. Have you ever seen those? Mm-hmm. Where you, you're on a plane and you put it and it goes over the, your eyes, uh, but it's very, very comfortable apparently. Makes anyway. Very, very, you know, vulnerable though to attack. To predators. Yeah. Yes, on, yeah, on a, like Killian Murphy on a red eye. <laughs> um, but anyway, we seem to have gone off topic here. Uh, I don't us. know how that's happened to us. Yeah, I know. Uh, we should talk about the portal selling, by the way. But also... Adrian Griffin, because mm. when we first meet him, we don't see him really. There's no. there's a there's a mid shot or, or or medium shot rather a medium shot of him whenever Cecilia and Emily drive away, but he doesn't get that great big glowering close up until right at the very very end of the movie, just as he's about to to cark it. Do you, do you think that's interesting how Wanell approaches that character? Yeah, I think because he's he's in the trailer sort of as much as he's in the film. I think you don't know it out of context, but in the trailer you see stuff from the dinner sequence at the end, which is the main sequence he's really in, which is kind of amazing as well because he gets second billing. Oliver Jackson Cohen mm. has second billing on this and he's in it for Whoa. pretty much one scene. But yeah, I think it was an interesting choice to hold him back. I think especially because you see it from her perspective. All you need to know is her fear of him. I think keeping it away from him and on her experience actually makes it sort of creepier rather well, than 
actually knowing and seeing him properly before then. Also, seeing less of him makes it more credible that she might just be out of her mind, that it might all be in her head, that that is the big twist that we're waiting for in this film. And I think that is plausible going in. I I wondered, actually, going in, if that was going to turn out to be the case. Going into the whole film? Yeah. Okay. But uh, not... Once I was in it, but yeah. um, but it did. You know, it would be an interesting way to do an Invisible Man film where there is no Invisible Man. I think it's interesting that they didn't, and good that they didn't, because yeah. most of them would do that, wouldn't they? They'd be more ambiguous, and they'd play on the is she mad, is she not? Mm. And this shows you from the start that there is an Invisible Man. There's no shame about what this film is. I mean, it is called the Invisible Man, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. But but what I think one L has done here is fantastic and a a small bit of genius actually in the way he has taken the H.G. Wells story by the way interesting I think that H.G. Wells isn't credited did you notice that? right Mm. at all in the uh, in the closing credits says screen story and screenplay by Lee 1L and I was waiting for it based on the (laughs) based on the story by H.G. Wells and nothing came up there must Which I, be a reason for that. Yeah, I imagine I mean, maybe it's in the public domain. Maybe it it's would be, out wouldn't of, it? Yeah. But even so, it still is. Yes. Still but is it? Because like, it's just an invisible guy. It's a totally different story. Ah, uh, but um, Griffin, they, he does have the same kind of name. Kind of name, Kind yeah. of name. And that's maybe more of a nod. You could say it's mm. more of a nod to... Uh, an homage. An homage, if you will. Uh, but what he's done is he's taken this story, which is firmly in the original story from the viewpoint of the mad scientist who goes increasingly mad. Uh, this is a remake of Memoirs of an Invisible Man, isn't it? The, the Chevy Chase John yeah. Carpenter film. Uh, so instead, it's not from his point of view. He, take, he, he has changed it, obviously, to be from Cecilia's point of view, and it is very much about abusive relationships and very much about toxic masculinity and very much about... Gaslighting. Uh, gaslighting. And, and yeah. that's, I thought that was brilliant. Course of control, yeah. And stalking as well, yeah. actually. I think it's... Um, again, that, that's the reason why I thought that, you know, f- for part of the film, I thought, you know, we could be headed for a it's-all-in-her-head kind of thing because mm. a lot of that stuff is played out as stuff that people don't believe. You know, it is notoriously difficult to get the police to take stalking seriously. It is notoriously difficult to secure a conviction for coercive control. Mm-hmm. And of course, gaslighting, by definition, is notoriously difficult to convince anyone is ha- really happening. So all of that sort of feeds into this kind of air of paranoia and fear and and tension for mm. us. And isn't even the threshold for domestic abuse quite difficult? It takes a long, you know, it, it can be mm. quite difficult to persuade and especially, like People he's a, a at least billionaire. Oh, sorry, yeah. at least millionaire, probably billionaire. Mm-hmm. Um, he is clearly, you know, very plausible in in presenting himself as a rational, reasonable, very charming, very handsome man. Mm. He has every reason to think that he could basically get away with anything. And, and indeed, that's essentially what he tries to do after his apparent death is to still be getting away with all this stuff. Yeah, I thought something it did interestingly because so much of it takes place after the the his supposed death. Mm. It's also about the power structures in place that sort of um, hem her in even when he's supposedly gone that she is still subject to all, yeah. all of these sort of societal structures in place that will uh, revert to him over, over her experience. And that's the thing as well. It's not just about the gaslighting. It's about the fact that no one believes her. She's alleging abuse mm. and saying, this is happening to me. And they're just, you know, like people or society or however you want to look at it are silencing her and telling her to shut up, basically. Um, and Elizabeth Moss is phenomenal in Towering. this film. Yeah. I think this is, my, my wife saw the film with me last night, Drinking Game, and 
Uh, afterwards, she came out saying, "Give her the Oscar. Just give her the Oscar." And I went, "She's not even going to get nominated." No, she won't. That's this is what happens. You you put in an amazing performance in a horror film. Tony Collette in Hereditary, the Peter Nyong'o in Us, Florence Pugh in Midsommar, it's just, it's not going to get nominated. The only horror performance, arguably horror performance, in February, really ever to win, I think, is probably Silence of the Lambs. So mm. I don't think this film, I love this film, but I don't think it's Silence of the Lambs. Um, has so it, Has that changed? I mean, with the likes of Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby and Don't Look Now, all these things, were they, were they big award? I don't think they were as early in the year is more what, what I meant. Is that okay. yeah. But such as that, I think I think there is, you know, obviously Get Out was nominated and won mm. a couple of things and Daniel Kaluuya was nominated for that. But it, by, by and large, it tends to be, we've talked about this ad infinitum on the podcast, but there tends to be a snobbery towards comedy and horror performances as well. Uh, the Academy kind of holds its nose a little bit when it mm. comes to recognising a performance like this. Listen, if at the end of, if at the end of Oscar season next year, there are legitimately five better performances than Elizabeth Moss in this movie. I will hold my hands up and go, fair enough. Hooray but, for uh, us. Uh, hooray for us. What a, what a great year we've had. But I don't know that that's going to be the case. She is phenomenal in this movie and she's in pretty much every scene. I think, is she in every scene? I don't know if there's a scene where she's... Oh, there is. There's a scene with uh, with uh, James and Sydney at the end where they're being attacked by the evil brother, shit Jack Rayner. Um, but... <laughs> And don't forget, shit, Jake Gyllenhaal's in the movie as well as uh, James's partner in the uh, when they're interviewing Cecilia in the uh, mental hospital. You must know the guy with the, the slick back hair and the beard uh-huh. who asks to leave the room. Ah, shit, Jake Gyllenhaal. I'm calling okay. it right now. Anyway, uh, she she is tremendous in this film, and she's so good at gauging the different sort of levels and increments of Cecilia's paranoia mm. and horror and mounting terror mm. and there's moments that moment actually with shit Jake Gyllenhaal in the when they're, she's being interrogated by James after Emily's murder and she's going ah, he's in the room I can't and she looks absolutely insane I can't yeah, I, yeah. Can, I can't see I, you can't see him but he's over there and I can't tell you what I've got but because he's listening and mm. you can't, well, of course he wouldn't listen to her she's absolutely deranged mm. she's phenomenal in this movie yeah she's incredible and, and you're, like you say it is that gauging of, of the different levels that she needs to go yeah. from and to and, and have a, a sort of thread of determination and independence running through it but one that is clearly fragile and could break at any moment kind of thing. So yeah. I, I think I think she's she's incredible. I mean, she always is, but I thought this was a, mm. a whole other level for her. Isn't she on the edge for almost the entire film? Is there any, apart from the scene where she thinks everything's going to be okay and she gives her the the The, the check, and, yeah. yeah. Is the that ladder. the only scene where she's not out of her mind? Pretty much. Practically, yeah. Which, is, I mean, that must have been absolutely exhausting. She's incredible. Yeah. And of course, at the end as well, you could say that she's she goes to that house with a certain amount of prepossession. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't want to say the word premeditation because I get the feeling that she wouldn't have, had he admitted, let's discuss this right now, had he admitted his crimes to her on mm. tape so James could hear it, do you think she would have gone, fair enough, let's let Officer Law come in and, and sort this out? Or do you think she still would have uh, exacted revenge the way she did? I think, like she said, I think she knew he wouldn't do that. Yeah. Okay. She went so in I think, yeah, pretty much knowing yeah. how it was going to go down. But and this is actually an interesting thing in, in terms of domestic abuse cases, um, which is that this is a thing where women snap and then it's premeditated. Because a woman can't just snap and strangle a guy, generally mm. speaking, because mm. they're weaker, right? So they snap... 
and go into this kind of very cold place and go into the kitchen and pick up a knife and come back in and stab him. Right. So, so that's premeditation. When yeah. In fact. Whereas men get off with manslaughter yeah. and women get first degree in similar sort of well, circumstances. That's, that's that effed. Wow. Yes, it is. Mm. Um, but it is it is a it is a real problem that the law can't quite get its head around. Um, and so the only way to get past that then is to claim some kind of derangement, ongoing derangement as a result of. Mm-hmm. Um, domestic abuse, which again, because you, it tends to be something that people actively try to hide, both parties tend to actively try to hide it, is very hard to prove. So you're screwed coming and going, basically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you think that she she went there and she was going to do it, no matter what, that when she stashes the, the suit, when she goes back to the house. She knew him better yeah. than mm. to own up to anything. I, I think even if he had admitted to it, I think he's been so many steps ahead through the whole thing that I feel like she would have thought if he'd spoken mm. and admitted to it that he would have had some extra plan in place to get out, to get out of that, that yeah. or to kind of still continue and, getting to And honestly, that. he might not have needed an extra plan in place to get out of it because, like I say, he's very rich and has good lawyers. Mm. But also, I think I th- it was I think it was 100% plan because her, the shot of her at the end is not, you know, happiness at what she's just done. It's mm. the relief. It's mm. the release she's just got. It means it's finally over. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's not the fact that she's just done what she's done. It's the end of that story for her. Yeah, I think so. I think I don't think she initially stashed the suit there for that purpose. Mm. I think it was hidden there as evidence and she was hoping to get back to it and prove that she wasn't crazy. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was originally a premeditation in that sense. But I do think it was, by the time she went back to the house, I think she knew it was probably going to come to that. And I think she acted accordingly. Mm. And of course, if you can make it look like suicide. Yeah. All the better. He's putting a friend in a terrible position there, though. Poor Mr. Policeman. Mm. Who yeah. Who now has to lie for the rest of his life. I mean, yeah. I think um, he was very good, I thought, Aldous Hodge. Yeah. He, yeah so, so did my wife. <laughs> when, he, when, he, when he walked in to that scene where he was wearing just a vest and, and stuff in his bottom as well, I have to, I have to point sure. that out. Literally, she just went, mmm. And I was like, oh, for the love of God. He's come a, on. He's a very handsome man. I can't live up to that. Did you see those arms? <laughs> Yeah, he's a, he's a handsome man. Yeah. He actually, uh, interestingly, was the first person to kill Sam Winchester in uh, in Supernatural. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Many many people have done it since, but he was the first. <laughs> you never forget the first. <laughs> did he did he crush him with a bicep or whatever those arm muscles? No, are. he knifed him in the back, which Ooh. I thought was a little underhand. Was he invisible yeah. or was he just was he just really sneaky? Yeah, mm. very like, very sneaky. Like John Turturro yeah. in Mr. Deeds. Very very sneaky. <laughs> I know there was no time for it, but I was really pissed off that at the end nobody apologised to her. Even 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 Aldous Hodge, the policeman, mm. no one was like, "Really sorry, we didn't believe you." Evidently, there was an invisible man, and uh, <laughs> yes. because so many people, the whole thing is like that. You feel, especially because of her performance, no, the dude in you feel the sheer frustration. Time. Well, I think he's also just like trying to shoot him. Let's go back to Aldous Hodge. Uh, Aldous Hodge is very, very good in this film, and uh, I'm very, very glad that they didn't kill him. (laughs) Yeah, me too, actually. Because I thought the minute he turned up, uh, either he or his his daughter Sydney, played by Storm Reid, yes, from A Wrinkle in Time, A Wrinkle in Time, uh, were were dead meat. But not the case. I'm very, yeah, I'm very glad that they they didn't kill because that's the obvious thing. Obviously, you you save the daughter, but you kill the the man he's mm-hmm. somehow expendable quote unquote but um, no I'm very glad they didn't go for that because it's really lazy and hackneyed and they didn't kill the dog I'm at, sticking this alongside uh, Parasite as really good films that introduce at least one very good dog with a th- potential threat that something could happen to the dog in a bad way 
And by the end, no, dog's fine. Dog is absolutely okay. fine. In fact, better than fine. Although in this he, case, about yeah. the dog, like so, someone has been to that house, right, and covered mm-hmm. up the furniture with dust sheets, uh-huh. but not removed the dog. Question: Why? There are a couple of potential plot holes if you were so inclined. I'm sorry. I'm and if you were, say, doing a spoiler special podcast, that maybe you could ask about some of that stuff. For example, how many suits are there? Don't they notice that one is missing? <laughs> and or do the they just go, it's invisible, I guess we can't see it anyway. You know, <laughs> I'm sure it's there. The one that she takes as well is the one that is very obviously like clipped up in his lab on those big yes. sort of clippy mm-hmm. things. So I was really worried as well that when, when they have that dinner table sequence at the end, that he was going to have twigged that she'd taken the suit because that's like the main suit mm. that's in his lab. But and he had so it on invisible mode, right? So yeah. maybe he just simply hasn't pressed in visible mode and hasn't noticed. <laughs> in his sheer arrogance, he was like, it's still there. It's I can't still see there. It. I can't sure see it, so I know it's still there. It's fine. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the suit thing uh, interested me. Also, how he gets back to the beach house when he attacks her in the in the kitchen and she escapes yeah. and she gets an Uber and the Uber driver takes an age to reverse mm. and do a, a pointless U-turn. Uh and you're sitting waiting for him to attack. But then she drives to his beach house and then he goes back there. How does he not see the taxi driver? Because I was yeah. again, I was assuming that the taxi driver, when I first saw this, I was like, oh, the taxi driver's dead meat. Yeah. She's going to get outside and the taxi driver's going to you know, have been murdered. And though she's going to have to struggle to get back because it's going to take ages to get another Uber. <laughs> she's going to have an invisible man chasing her. And she's going to get no stars on Uber because she <laughs> killed her Uber driver apparently. And... Was he actually in the house at that point for sure? Well, we see the footprint. Oh yeah. Does he drive around town invisible? He must take it off, right? But then someone would go, hey, isn't it that rich billionaire who just died? Maybe he wears a hat. Maybe he does. You look just like that rich billionaire who died. Although my dad says that anyone who wears a hat when driving is probably a bad driver. Because you can't see everything? That is impeccable logic. I genuinely, I, I've never, I've never seen a person wearing a hat who was a good driver. So I think it might be true. What about those people who wear helmets? That's different. And whiz around the track. That's different. They don't wear helmets in their everyday life, do they? No, but a lot of them wear hats. Well, so define hat. Baseball cap. I wear a baseball cap whilst driving sometimes. I'm an excellent driver. Yeah. Do, you, do you turn it backwards? No. <laughs> <laughs> do I have a cartoon dog? No, I don't have any you got of a bumper things. sticker that says radical on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just pulling 720s in my uh, driveway, guys. Wow. That's what I'm doing. Imagine um, having a driveway big enough for a 720 in London. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> you'd, you'd sell it, wouldn't you? <laughs> you'd sell it. Anyway, what was it talking about? Oh, yes, potential uh, plot holes. So then how also does he figure out where they're going to be for that Gasper scene with, with Emily where he kills Emily at the restaurant. So does he, once he has lost her at the beach house, again, this is all stuff I could have asked Lee Winnell, but I ran out of time. Sure. Uh, does he then go, okay, I'm going to go to Emily's house because I know where Emily lives. I will then follow Emily and she will inevitably lead me to Cecilia. Is that what happens there? Possible. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Credible. All right. And uh, the dog, because someone asked, we, we have some listener questions. Someone did ask who feeds the dog. In, in fairness, like it could be one of those automated, you yeah. know, press a button mm. and once mm-hmm. a day, boom, he's food. A, he's a technological wizard. He's yeah. probably got a dog feeder of some sort. Yes. Or a person. What if there's a second invisible dog who feeds the other dog? <laughs> he must have staff, uh, for God's sake. 
Well, my, yeah, there's no way he vacuums that whole exactly. house himself. Like, like, my feeling in this is that Adrian maybe feels, maybe he puts the dust covers on the furniture himself. Because A, he has this, maybe he's decided that that house isn't worth living in, even though he, he'll, go, he'll go back and he'll feed the dog, which also maybe explains how he can't spy on Cecilia all the time because he's got to go back and feed the dog. Okay. Tom can also feed and the dog, his also, brother. Also, he could be there to use the loo. He, so, could, be, he could be there to lo- use the loo. Yeah. It's like <laughs> the flushing toilet at three in the morning. <laughs> Who was that? Uh, so he can go, he goes back to do that. And maybe <laughs> he feels that that house isn't worth living in without Cecilia. So therefore all the dust furniture is over. Maybe there's some sort of psychological yeah. cry okay. for help there. All right. Maybe, maybe, you know, listen. Well, they can keep crying. Frankly. Yeah. Obviously, Lee Winnell and I were too busy doing Werner Herzog impressions to tackle that one. But but hey-ho, we did talk about some other stuff in this movie, I promise you. And one of the things we talked about was the, the well, I guess the big twist of the movie, mm. I think it's a twist, which is that Tom is in the suit when he goes to the house to kill James and Sydney. Mm. And we actually did have a discussion about this after the second time I saw it, because the second time I saw it, first time I saw it on my own, Second time I saw it with some Empire people and we did come out, we did have a discussion about whether Tom was in the suit quite a bit. Mm. Were they in on it together? Mm. Were they in on it together? And, uh, and you know, I thought, there was a, I thought it was a big thing and I thought he was actually planting seeds of doubt in our mind as well about Adrian's level of guilt. Mm. But interestingly, Lee Winnell went, nope, it's Adrian in the suit the entire time. But the film sort of suggests that Tom was in on his dastardly plot though, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Very, very, very much so. Yeah. It, yeah. Very, he very definitely much so. knew. Yeah. He definitely was in yeah. on the plot. I, did anyone else feel that? Did anyone come out this going? I'm not sure. Is this movie meant to make us feel? Is this gaslighting us in a way that maybe Adrian is innocent and has no. been kidnapped by his brother? No, I felt like the first meeting she has with the brother felt quite felt sincere. Where he's saying like he was a dickhead to me mm. too. He was. He had ways of controlling me. So then when when he does flip. It's like, oh, of course, because he's still alive, he is now threatening his brother as well and has got control over him. So I think when that all came about at the end, maybe I was so convinced by, yeah, that initial meeting where he seemed actually pretty normal dude um, that he wasn't really in on it until he was forced to be towards the end. I don't know. What about you guys? I think, I mean, I was, there's not a moment where you don't believe her, right? Because you can see everything. And I think the scene at the end the dinner scene, I think, is presented ambiguous only in terms of tone and mood just to make that scene more effective. I don't think we're in doubt at all that he did it, right? I wasn't. I wasn't, ultimately. But it's still, I mean, it doesn't spell it out blatantly, but I think... Yeah, because it doesn't, it's interesting, it doesn't take that step where he Mm. he says the word surprise, which we've heard him say. Yeah. Mm. And, and, And actually looking back at the film again, he does speak when he has her pinned up against the, the fan in the car park and it is clearly his voice and not Tom's voice. That also then does bring up are there two suits? Does yeah. he does Because his suit's malfunctioning at that point. So, so he's on the run from the hospital uh-huh. and she's chasing him down the road. Yeah. And then Tom gets to the house Yes. So in a different suit. Is he calling Tom and saying, look, Tom, mate, my suit's banjaxed here. I need you to do me a solid. Can you go to... James's house and bump his daughter off. And Tom's like, I'm in for a penny, <laughs> in for a pound. So yeah. Tom has his own suit at that point. I would, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm asking. And at that point, she's already stashed the other suit yeah, away yeah, in the, the other house. Suit is so there's stashed. at least yeah. three. So he's saying, wearing one. Yeah. yeah. 
He's the Tony Stark of invisibility, right? And also the suit uh, seems to cling to whoever's wearing it and, and cover them completely. It's not baggy at any point. Uh, you know, there's no, it doesn't matter what the height and weight differential is because Oliver Jackson Cohen is a lot bigger from what we've seen mm. than uh, Michael Dorman, who plays Tom. Not shit Jack Rayner. I, I apologize uh, to Michael Dorman and the Dorman family. It's a little shit jack, right? <laughs> there's, a, there's a little bit. There's a little bit there. Um, I apologise, obviously, for any inference uh, there. Uh, but, you know, they're, Oliver Jackson Cohen's massive. Michael Dorman isn't. Elizabeth Moss isn't. Mm. And yet it just seems to fit them perfectly. There's mm. no floppy bits. There's no bits hanging off. There's, you know, it's not like, you know, you've done the slim fast diet. It's not that. No, like her base, it's fine. Totally <laughs> just, fine. It, it, it adheres and clings. Breathable, sweat wicking, whole, whole thing. <laughs> Uh, but Thomas is an interesting character. We, we see him a couple of times. We see him the first time. Actually, Ben, we see him the first time. He's he's a dick. It's oh, whenever, he is a dick. In yeah, the, it's whenever the will the, reading. Yeah, the will yeah. reading. Uh, where it's the first time we see his pen, a very heavy pen, and we see that's mm. obviously a big plot point later yeah, on. Who gets a bunch of gold pens? Like a what dick. a dick move. Would you? So you became very close to being a barrister. Sure. Would you have had a gold pen? No, I like a fountain pen, but like I'm not going to get like six gold pens and line them up in my fucking briefcase. Like Especially a dick. now, you know that people can stab you with them. Well, exactly. Yeah. You, you would have had one of those pens that's like got a clear bit in the top with a picture, and it's the Winchester Brothers. And when you flip it upside down, their tops come off <laughs> in the water. I, just, I like. I cannot stress this enough how little that happens on and the I show. I cannot You're stress enough him. that it must happen every episode. I, I say this having never seen an episode of Supernatural, I know, but I know, I know, I know in my heart of heart, you know and in my your nipple heart. of nipples, that that's exactly <laughs> what happens. Um, but yes, Tom's interesting. Second time we see him, he's a little bit more sympathetic. Uh, third Hardly. time we see him, a hmm. little bit more. Third time we, he's he is he's like my brother was controlling me. And the third time you see him, he's, or the fourth time you see him, he's like complete, ha ha ha, various, I'm in with my brother, we've been in it all together all this time, ha ha ha. He's a bigger gaslighter than his brother. Mm. Mm. He's an absolute, absolute bellend. Total scoundrel. Uh, interesting relationship, I thought, also between Emily and Cecilia, in that there's clearly tension between them mm. as sisters, even when, even at the very, very beginning. Yeah. Which I presume is one of the reasons why Cecilia is not living with with Emily. That she's living with, instead with a friend of Emily's. Well, I think it's. I think it is what she says about you know he would he would know he to would come find to you. you. He of would course, find yeah, you. he would just turn up. Um, yeah, and then, but but also I think that is again this is another thing that happens in at least some not all domestic abuse scenarios where they actively try to separate you, distance you from any other mm. forms of support because mm. any form of support that remains is someone you could run to. Right. So yeah. they don't want that. They want to isolate you. So, yeah. So it's another he's 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 clearly driven a wedge. And also like that email that he writes, mm -hmm. he knows what the stress points are. Mm -hmm. So he's watched them together yeah. during this relationship with her and he has found out where the difficult points are and he has played those to the hilt. Mm. And that's I, just really good writing because, I mean, if there wasn't that tension to play in in the first place, mm. then that just wouldn't work at all. Yeah. You wouldn't get something like that out of the blue and just go for it. I, I, I stumbled over that a little bit when I was watching it, though, because... Because you wouldn't believe it. The, the, off the back of one email, no matter how horrible this email was, that one nasty email, and because it's the sister who picks her up at the beginning, um, and when she picks her up from that road, 
um, Adrian runs in and smashes the window of the yeah. car and is trying to grab her out of the car as they were leaving. So I was like, why don't you but, have more sympathy for your sister who's clearly been Because there's through. tension even in that first yeah. scene between the two sisters. Mm. There's there's a sense of, oh, what the fuck? Why are you calling me? Why am I here in the middle of the night? What the hell's going on? Like, she's already desperate. Yeah, you do. But then she, yeah. Yeah. so that's why she stashes her with her friend and she helps her out. But again, the tension still remains. So there's clearly been bad blood there for mm. some time. And I think, you know, the, in fairness, I'm sure they weren't like super, super close before he got involved or it wouldn't have been quite so easy to do. But it's clearly that, you know, it has been exacerbated during the time mm. he's been with her. She says something interesting to Emily when Emily first comes over to the house to tell him, to tell Cecilia that uh, that Adrian is dead. Mm. And she says, you know, I don't need you trying to control me. Mm. Um which is obviously what Adrian does as well. So maybe there's tension there yeah. that she always feels it. I, you get the sense she was an older sister, younger sister. That wasn't really established, I think. Mm. But uh, uh, you know, you get the sense that there's something going on there, which I think is what makes the restaurant scene so interesting. Because you're watching that restaurant scene with with Taylor, the waiter that I started talking to Lee Winnell about just for fun uh, just for shits and giggles uh, but that restaurant scene is so shocking and what's really interesting is that Emily is such an arsehole to that waiter for like for, <laughs> yeah. for no reason whatsoever she's just it's she just, wants to have a powwow with her sister but she's like could you they think you fuck off and leave us alone and he laps it all up yeah he, he kind of loves it <laughs> but that's kind of interesting that you're, you're putting that character in such an unsympathetic place and shining an unsympathetic light on her literally seconds before mm. you turn everything around with the big Gasper moment. I mean, I, it was it was not her finest hour. I, I wasn't entirely unsympathetic at that point because those kind of incredibly lengthy introductions that some waiters do when you're right in the middle of a conversation, mm. like they are infuriating. So yeah. I had, I had, I'm not saying I would have done the same, but I had a little bit of sympathy with her. All right. Okay. So just a couple of last things to talk about before we take some uh, some listener questions uh, also. I, I want to talk about how Lee Wanell has progressed as a director. Uh, I think he's a fantastic writer and I have done mm. for a long, long time. Mm. I think mm. his work on the Insidious movies in particular is... Yeah. I can sometimes picture him as Insidious chapter two in particular. Scary. Which is mm, scary, scary, but also he's really good at the way that Insidious chapter two doubles back upon the first movie and goes in and out and weaves into different timelines. It's a Back to Future Part 2 of, of horror <laughs> movies. It, it's honestly more ambitious than you think it, it has a right to be, especially having mm. cost so little. Um, he's an incredible writer and his first movie as a director was Insidious 3 and it wasn't that great. Mm. But Upgrade, I thought, was Upgrade terrific. amazing. For, for like, yeah. you know, a very small film that really nobody was excited about, that was the Venom movie that Venom should have been. Like, it was phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal film in that sense. And, and such a surprise. Well, it was the first, because um, Insidious 3, he was coming onto a franchise, albeit one that he'd co-created, but he was stepping into someone else's directorial shoes. I think Upgrade was him unleashed. Mm. And this kind of even more so, I guess. The stuff he does with nothing in this film... Half the film, you're looking at nothing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. I yeah. mean, literally nothing. Have you, have you ever seen such effective doorways on camera? Seriously. Yeah. And the chair, the depressed chair. That's one of the <laughs> most oh, wasn't that sad. <laughs> That's one of the most unsettling shots I've seen in a long time, just looking at a chair with some sort of impression in it. And you're like, 
Who's the fucking man in that chair? Yeah, you're doing what she's doing, going like, is that just how the chair looks, or is that like a is that like a butt mark in the chair? Is it? Is, is, or is that just how this? Is it like a sculpted chair? What is going yeah. on? I tell you what, if I if that'd be me in the suit, that would have been a dead giveaway because Ada would have been a bigger dent in the chair. But also, as I got up, I'd have gone, oh, <laughs> like oh many, <laughs> or something would have cracked. Skid marks. On there would be skid marks. Oh, come on, Alex. Come on. Unbelievable. They're contained within the the incredible. Oh. Super suit that was based on the car from (laughs) Die Another Day, apparently. I I think with the upgrade, what you saw with Lee Winnell was um, him getting to really be inventive. And even then with The Invisible Man, what he does is take a premise that is literally over 100 years old and and makes it inventive again. And scary. And scary. And the... It comes through in the Invisible Man a bit as well, but like what he did with Upgrade, the way he shot that action that he came oh, up with, tremendous! Like a whole new way of shooting action sequences mm. that that has never really been done before on a small budget Blumhouse movie. Well, that's probably why. It's one of the reasons why is because they had to be more inventive, right? Yeah, mm. yeah, and I think he's spoken about the fact as well that he's not that. He, if if uh, he want, ends up wanting to do a project that will have to cost more money, then he's open to it. But he's not chasing doing a bigger budget project because I think he's, he said that he likes working in those constraints mm-hmm. where on the one hand um, you're having to be inventive you're having to come up with uh, ways of doing things and also then you're having to work with a team who will go above and beyond to do what you need to do in an economical way mm. yeah. he just seems to enjoy working like that well that, that's the difference between this and something like Hollow Man isn't it well, Hollow mm-hmm. Man is all bells and whistles and whistles <laughs> <laughs> whistles and chips <laughs> bells and whistles and CGI and this is doorways yeah, mm. and the CGI that is in this film is used very sparingly and effectively. Yeah, very effectively. Ho- Hollow Man does a similar thing, of, of course. Of of we have protagonists who are being attacked by the Invisible Man, and so you get, you get tension out of that. But Hollow Man was much more gimmicky, yeah, mm. as well. And, and and this movie, one of the things I really admired about it was its restraint. Like there are really very few jump scares. There's the there's the the Gasper in a restaurant, of course. But there's very few moments where you something lunges at Cecilia. There's the bit in the, with the ladder and obviously the, the fight scene that she has with him in the, in the kitchen. But by and large, it's about the slow build. Yeah. And it's about unsettling uh, blocking. It's about unsettling camera movement and camera placement, which I thought was really, really interesting. It's a long, long time before anything even remotely dramatic really happens. It's mm-hmm. just about the, the sense that something is here and she can sense that something's there, presumably because he's still worrying twat for men or whatever it is is, is aftershave um, but <laughs> there, it's, are, it's, there are jump scares yeah. they're more subtle yeah. they're not mm. cats jumping out of windows I mean even the, the breath the, the breath is great but the, the knife falling on the floor not making a sound mm. is genius it doesn't mm. that's what happens right yeah 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 it falls, it falls off, the, off the, counter. the kitchen counter and you don't hear it and you're like yeah. fuck yeah I, I love as well I read um, excuse and, my language he might have spoken about this with you. People will never have heard the like here before. Oh my God. Now we'll have, this is the first Empire podcast and we've just been swearing. Yeah. I'm terribly sorry. Well, now the cat's out of the fucking bag. We might as well, oh. might as well fucking do it. Okay. Um, I, I love that um, in the scene where he's on the ladder and she throws the paint on him, um, yeah. the, the sort mm. of mixing as well of, of filmmaking techniques. So they uh, for that, they... They, he was there in a suit, in a green screen suit, mm. but they added the texture of the lenses to the green screen suit. So he was wearing a green screen suit that had the texture of the Invisible Man suit so that then when they threw the paint on him, mm. yeah. that was a practical effect. Yeah. But also he was in a green screen suit so they edited the rest of him out. Yeah, yeah. That sort of mix of, of um, filmmaking But that's what you have to do really to get really good CG, smart. I think. Yeah. yeah. But I also just really wished she'd had 
oil-based paint. He couldn't have washed it off, man. <laughs> Emulsion, no. Stupid woman. Come on, gloss or GTFO. She, but that's, there's a double whammy with that scene because obviously just the shock of seeing that she was right yeah. and there was someone there, even though you know there is, you still, it's, you, you freeze when you see him. But also there's something really ghoulish about that scuba suit. Yeah, it's something really freaky about it. It's kind of elementally scary. It's, some... Yeah, it's it's that sort of um, uh, alien sort yeah. of f- figure. Yeah, it almost looks like the robots at the end of AI. Yeah, a little exactly. bit as well, which I actually quite like. But mm. Um, mm. but that's another thing about restraint as well, because he doesn't do that thing that Invisible Man movies tend to do, which is you know, oh, this phone is now floating through the air or as if as if of its own accord oh that's weird he doesn't really do stuff like that then there's the knife, the knife which obviously he takes there's the, the frying pan turning itself on but and the, the blanket that he pulls off mm. the bed but it's all about establishing him as this really kind of insidious invader in the house the bit where he takes the pictures at night of of uh, Sydney and Cecilia asleep in the bed is horrible mm-hmm. absolutely horrible and I, I wonder this is something that I didn't really discuss with Lee Whannell um and also, I took it the sense as well that they want to accentuate the fact that this is a fun movie, a fun horror film. And yet, yes, there's a message here, but that's not dwelling it too much. But I also am fascinated by the escalation of Adrian in mm. this movie and how that mirrors, I think, the escalation in, a, in a, an abusive relationship yeah. Yeah, from the psychological yep. undermining from making people think that maybe they're going crazy from trying to control people and trying to make them feel that maybe their their world is on a, a slight tilt as well then gradually getting more and more physical until the big attack well, comes. She, she basically says that he's been raping her already yeah. at the very beginning so um, it's I, already pretty fucking fucked yeah. up and I have to say I did wonder and I don't know if you guys did as well and, and whenever the doctor tells her that she's pregnant and it happened in the last month or so I have yeah. this uh, uh, something flitted through my head has he been has yeah. he been taking advantage of her has he been raping her even now when she's yeah. been asleep oh my god yeah. I don't know whether we're meant to think that I, I thought that at I first thought that. at yeah. first but, but I think the time frame of the movie the time, is yeah, just, I think the time frame allows, yeah. just about okay because but, otherwise she would have had to he would have also had to drug her which we haven't seen any reference yeah. a bit, bit of a leap on our yeah. part yeah, so. of course he did drug her because he has the diazepam in his yeah. system for the job interview yeah, true. So. True. True. I think, he's, but I think I this think, is actually an interesting thing because I think other Invisible Man stories yes. up to Hollow Man included have had this idea that being invisible and being therefore unaccountable yes. for your actions is what makes you psychotic to an extent, like the fact that you can do it is what makes you suddenly yeah. um, go off the rails. God complex. God complex, yeah. Whereas this one, this guy is a continuing a pattern of behaviour that he already had. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't have that aspect of mm-hmm. the of the old story at all. Yeah. But obviously he's very meticulous about the whole thing. He, mm-hmm. uh, he is planning to frame her for the murder of someone. Mm. Uh, hence, he takes a knife with the finger with her fingerprints on it and keeps it in a plastic bag. And yeah, he sends that email. I'm, I presume he's setting up Emily to be to be killed, but also James and Sydney are very very vulnerable sure. as well. Uh, he's uh, he's a nasty piece of work. And talking mm-hmm. about how the film works so well incrementally, it's amazing how it you know because you're on board right from the start. It's amazing what you go with and what you believe. And because ordinarily, a scene a sequence of someone having a fight with nothing with no one, with mm. an invisible person. It, it, it should just look stupid 
right? It should, <laughs> it should just look completely idiotic, but it's really shocking. I mean, when when Storm Reid gets punched across the oh, room, yeah. oh yeah, oh my god, that's really horrible. But that's all of it. I mean, she's probably just on a wire, right, in, on on set. Mm. But you get completely engrossed in that plot, and when her dad's getting beaten up later on, it's you're, it, you you watch it as if mm. you're watching someone else beating the chair out of someone, yeah. and there's no one there. Yeah, it's mm. incredible how this film pulls that stuff off. Yeah. yeah. I also, we... I, I was terrible. Uh, that was a point where I was terrible. Oh, don't kill him. Mm. We like yeah. that guy. My yeah. wife really likes his arms. <laughs> Do not kill this guy. And I thought he. I thought they were going to uh, bump him off at that point, but mm. glad they didn't. I thought he was one of the most outright hateable film characters in a long. Well, Aldous Hodge, <laughs> monster. Keep beating him. Keep beating him. Is what I was yelling. You monster. Um, no, no. Obviously, the 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 Invisible Man, Adrian Griffin. I thought he was genuinely one yeah. of the most downright. Sort of like you're seething with rage, sort of halfway through when when you know it's not even escalated to the worst point yet, and I think that's what feels so um, so awful about the scene in the restaurant. It's not just what kind of the literal level of what happens of what he's done. It's it's the sheer power move of it, and how he's not just doing these awful things, but he's bringing them back on her and making her responsible. Um, and knowing that, of course, you 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 wouldn't believe her. You wouldn't believe her. You wouldn't believe that you somebody else did that. If heartless. she's holding the knife in the restaurant and no one saw it happen, yeah. So it, yeah, it, check uh, the CTTV, and surely it would show that was a magical flying knife. I was thinking that. I was thinking there must be CCTV in that restaurant. Come on, it's a fancy Dan restaurant. Did have yeah, CCTV. but you you know you need it to be at a very precise angle to get yeah, that move. I think. Um, yeah, no, that was really creepy. The, the pregnancy thing is really creepy as yes. well. Yes, it's horrible, the thought. It's, yeah. it's ultimate sort of bodily control um, aspect. And, and again, it's just part of that escalation you're talking about of his behaviour towards her. He knows, you know, because she won't leave a child at risk from him. She won't do it. So mm. if he gets that, he's he's yeah. got the farm. Because I, I didn't know where this movie was going the first time I saw it. Um, I'd seen the first trailer and then decided not to watch any more trailers for this movie, which I'm I'm glad I didn't because mm. apparently I would have seen the entire movie. Um, but the first, the, the time she takes the pen and she s- starts slitting her own wrists, mm. I was like, "Oh, that's this is bold. Mm-hmm. This is a this is a bold move. I, that's oh, I don't want to see this. It's horrible. The sound of well. the sound effect. Oh, ugh, yeah. no, thank you." But actually, as soon as she mentioned that she was secretly taking the pill, I knew that she'd turn up pregnant. It's always the way in films. Always the way. <sighs> And getting that call where it's like, there's something else we need to tell you. You see that, hear that trailing off mm. in the distance as she pulls the phone yeah, yeah. away from her ear as well. Like, I wonder oh. if they could have ended on a sort of like the uh, the fly, uh, <laughs> where there's a, there's a dream sequence where she's having the baby and it's an invisible baby. <laughs> oh God! And so, like, that's you know. the sequel and the invisible dog. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> such yeah. a such a cheap sequel. It really, it really is. I'm up um, for it. It's but, interesting, isn't it, that we um. Just sorry, just coming back to what we were saying earlier yep. about the fact that H.G. Wells is not mentioned in these credits, but the fact that he is called Griffin in it, right? Yes. Which is an homage, at least. But I reckon, okay, as a theory, that if they didn't have to use H.G. Wells' name because it's out of copyright, they probably deliberately didn't want to use it at all just to completely distance it from any thoughts of this being a hokey, old-fashioned Universal monster film mm. because but, it's such contemporary mm. retelling that's got such ownership over its over what the material is now. I think they probably just didn't want to. But then, if that were the if that were the focus, would they not have called it something different? 
Um, well, you still want to get people into the cinema. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Spooky see-through dude. Spooky see-through dude. <laughs> green I would green totally screen see monster. <laughs> <laughs> the man you can't see. Yes. <laughs> scuba twat. <laughs> scuba twat. There you go. Lee Wanell's scuba twat. Um, just one more thing about the, uh, the the sort of restraint that, that Lee Wanell shows as a director and the control he shows as a director, which I thought was uh, terrific in this movie. He has this, uh, obviously there's the sort of upgrade uh, type action where the camera is very much locked to the character and you know you, you know, even when Cecilia has that uh, diazepam fueled episode in the architect's office and the camera goes with her she falls to the floor that's all very look at me in a way but I, I thought it was just tremendous the way that uh, very early on you have that shot and it's repeated a couple of times you have a shot where the camera will be on Cecilia and then it will just slowly pan away and then uh, insist you look at this area and you're mm. wondering what the hell am I looking at what's there and then mm. it'll slowly pan back Yeah. the first time we see that in the house I don't know if you guys noticed this but as it pans away from Cecilia she's prepping her her escape kit pans away to the to the hall and we hear the sound of the suit so now every now and again you can see you can hear the suit you can hear when mm. the suit is in the room with her you can hear the cameras beginning to whir you can hear mm. them doing whatever it is they're doing, you know, picking up the, the different light and bouncing it around, whatever whatever that scientific explanation is. Uh, I asked Lee Wanell this. I said, is that Tom in the suit? Is Tom watching her from the off? And he said, no, but I just wanted you to remind you that the suit was around to get mm. you used to that feeling of being unsettled. Oh, wow. Did you did you think that at all? Did, did you yeah. think that Tom was in that suit? Did you think that someone was watching her from right from the off? I was worried that something was going on with that from the off. I mm. didn't know who it was, I didn't know. You know, maybe it wasn't the guy in the bed that she was terrified of after all. Maybe it was something else in the house or something. I was, I was, mm. um, which obviously didn't last long as I thought. But I, I did, when you hear those kind of noises, you're a bit like, ooh, is there something else going on here? Did you pick up the noises of the suit as uh, various scenes as well? I didn't next, next time, you, next time yeah, you see it, just time. listen for the little whirs and the clicks and of the of the suit. And mm. uh, generally, by and large, you'll know that uh, he's in the room with you. Uh, not always, but uh, but sometimes. Um, what about similarities to Upgrade? Did anyone notice any similarities to Upgrade? Both movies end at a beach house, uh, mm. a rich, rich person's house with right. the, uh, the, the hero, the protagonist of the story, achieving self-actualization. And uh, I thought it was really fascinating. There, there are, I think, thematic preoccupations between the two movies. He is definitely mm. not feeling great about where technology is going, <laughs> Lee Manel. He, uh, both, both films have uh, sort of technologically advanced villains who are manipulating mm. people through their mastery of, of technology yeah. that feels sort of futuristic but also plausible for where we are no, now. That's, yeah, that's 100% a, a comment on where we mm. are now because tech billionaires are ruining the world. Um, and other billionaires also. Other billionaires are available if you want <laughs> them to ruin the world too. That's cool. They're all in um, here watching this with their invisible yeah. suits, the weirdos. Great. Uh, but no, I think I think that's absolutely deliberate. And yeah, yeah, I think you're right. There's there's definite preoccupations. He also likes his um, kind of uh, concrete heavy architecture, concrete heavy modernist, mm. postmodernist. He really does, doesn't he? Architecture. Um, so yeah, but I mean, when I guess when you have a limited number of locations, you want to make them look as cool as possible. I can't wait to see what he does next. Mm. He's a really exciting filmmaker. Yeah, yeah, damn straight. Time for a couple of very very quick questions from from listeners. A writer's block. Um, these are things we've probably talked about. Exactly how many suits did Adrian have that he wouldn't notice one missing? Did he have one for different days of the week, monogrammed like underwear? Ah, uh, yes, but like, uh, as we learned in When Harry Met Sally, there would only be six because they don't make Sunday because of God. 
<laughs> Next question. Uh, at Mike Boy, again, we talked about this, but given the lack of flashbacks showing Adrian's abusive behaviour, is there a reading of the film where Cecilia is legitimately crazy, made it all up, and she just murdered an innocent man? No, nope. fuck off. No, <laughs> fuck off. No, no, no. Believe the victim. I think that's, that's what this film is saying to us. You, do, you don't yep. need to have concrete proof that Adrian uh, abused Cecilia. She said it. Look at her. Look at her body language. Look at how she's scared she is. Uh, there you go. Is that person suggesting that the things we see him doing are her hallucinations? No. Yes. This is kind of like my take. Well, maybe he is, but this is kind of like my take initially when I thought that Tom being in the suit meant that Tom was mainly the one who was scaring not always, because I think the escalation of physical violence was something that would be an Adrian thing. Mm. Uh, but the fact that Adrian had the foresight to lock himself up in this basement and pretend to be... That's another thing. So presumably he must have called Tom with his malfunctioning suit, said, Tom, go to their house, kill uh, Sydney, maybe kill James if he shows up as well. Uh, I'm going to go home and chain myself up in my basement. So just in case you do get killed and the cops come right. in here... It looks like I've been your prisoner. That's okay with you, right, Tom? Tom's like, totally fine. <laughs> I have no problems with this scenario whatsoever. Um, but anyway, I thought it was maybe Tom occasionally okay. doing some of the stuff. Mm. Um, so there might have been some doubt about certain elements of Adrian's guilt. Um, but yeah, at, Dar- at Darlow Gary, who fed the dog? Well, yeah. Adrian and Tom. The invisible dog. Or the automated dog feeder that we don't see Indeed. and have no reason to believe exists. Because uh, we do see a dog bull, a normal dog bull. Anyway. At Danny Robineau, at D.A. Robineau asks, how did the police know to check Adrian's house after they found his brother dead? Hmm. I would assume well, Cecilia says, this is Adrian. talking about him the, the whole film. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one, actually, because I uh, wondered at that point if that was going to be the end of the film and it had been the brother. Right certainly since the death, and that the police were basically going to march into the house and take the suit for themselves to start a new era of, you know, warfare or whatever. Um, so I, uh, I thought that was maybe going to be the end of the film would be like, oh, you know, it's sort of almost a, a Raiders of the Lost Ark ending with them sort of wheeling it into a big warehouse going, <laughs> top men, top <laughs> Man. Starting off a new dark universe, they store it <gasps> next to the Dracula box and the Frankenstein exactly. monster and, and all sorts. Oh my God, that'd be amazing. Next to a black lagoon. Oh, oh no. Um, what if there's a creature in there? Oh, I don't think that's likely, do you? <laughs> um, Linkster film... Linkster R-L-L-M UK asks, when she finds a knife and the phone in the attic, why is the knife in a bag? Well, that's the one with her fingerprints on, right? That he's trying to preserve. Indeed. Part of his setup. Uh, at yes, at Brewy underscore Chris, who of course contributed to this podcast on our Greatest Movies Listener podcast uh, a few weeks ago, uh, asks, "How did Cecilia get the pen out of the briefcase without the Invisible Man seeing it? Does it suggest it was the brother all along, or was Adrian taking a toilet break?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe he feels he doesn't have to be in the room if his brother's there. I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe she just did it quickly and he didn't notice. Maybe. He can't be like omniscient. No, he can't. He, he, he's, he gets tired. He has to go for Snickers every now and again. <laughs> uh, surprise proves Adrian was the orchestrator. Yes, indeed it was. What uh, would the gloves of that suit have looked like? 
Like, you wouldn't have been able to put your fingers together. Like, it must be really uncomfortable. <laughs> Maybe they were like mittens. <laughs> That That's why he wasn't holding many objects except for knives because he had all yeah. four fingers in one and did, mitt. Did they have those patches on your fingers so you can operate your iPhone without taking off your phone? Mm. At Sozrat, Zoe Jays on Twitter asks, when Celia triumphantly leaves with the dog and a bag of stuff before the police arrive, wouldn't that look pretty suspicious, even with the CCTV footage and James vouching for her? I presume James is going to delete the bit of the recording where she abruptly stops crying. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. It's a good point. Helen, as a lawyer, yep. uh, trained barista, <laughs> isn't that leaving the scene of a crime technically? Or is she just going to dump this bag in the car so the cops don't yeah, find the I suit? Yeah, I felt like she was just going to dump it in the car. And then come back in and go, oh, yeah. grieving, grieving. Although interestingly, there, there are real questions over whether or not you're allowed to search somebody's car and for what reason in America. And she is obviously leaving it in a black man's car. But he is a cop, so presumably he gets, you know, less harassment from other cops than others might mm. mm-hmm. okay yeah I don't think she's leaving I don't think she's getting the, uh, into the car and, and driving off uh, three last questions Cantona's ghost on Twitter was there a bit in the trailer that wasn't in the film where the invisible man left a handprint on the glass door yes that wasn't in the film mm. I'm glad it wasn't in the film mm. as well because you're waiting for it I wonder <laughs> if it was done for the trailer I suspect it was it's one of those ones, we've talked about that before with some of the Marvel trailers, where, look, as long as it feels in keeping with the film that you saw, you don't feel swizzed by the film itself. Um, I think there were quite a few moments that were in the trailer that I then was expecting in the film. So when he smashes through the glass um, of the car when she's escaping at the beginning, um, there are all sorts of little moments that I think, because I did a uh, trailer breakdown with Lee Winnell, so I had to then go through the trailer many, many times and, and was pretty familiar with those beats. Um, it was, yeah, I, if, if there are bits in the trailer that then don't end up in the film, it's like, do you know what? As long as you're not wildly showing off things that, that yeah. don't happen, mm. it's fine. One thing the first trailer did give away was the uh, the bit where she fights back in the trailer. Uh, and she goes, there you are, you know, when she's, you know, she's in the shower. Mm-hmm. Um, and that obviously leads to the sort of Terminator 2 meets Predator bit where he goes on a rampage through the hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, what did you think of that, that bit as well? It was also really interesting that he, didn't, he doesn't kill them all. Yeah, no, which was very helpful for her. Um, I thought he was still pretty brutal and I, I was yeah. it was it was again it was incredibly tense because you're like okay on one hand presumably this shows she didn't do it all and she's not completely freaking psychotic but on the other hand is he going to kill all the people who as, even as they witness that um, I guess that's not his motive he's not there no. to, to carry out a massacre is he he's just trying to get his shit done yeah. how does he think he's going to go back to normal life after this I think he He's not thinking that at all, is mm. he? But he does at a certain point. He, so Tom says to him, you know, sign this paper, come back to him, have the baby with him. And so he's going to come out of hiding. But go, go, hey, guys, well, I thought it was dead, but it got better. Presum- presumably at that point, <laughs> yeah. he's going to pin it all on Tom. I'll have Tom killed. Yeah. So you think, hang on a second. Whoa, wait a second. Whoa, you're yeah. blowing my mind here, Helen. So you think that he is actually deliberately sending Tom to get killed? Or is he? If not, then at just some happy point, accident. yeah. Hmm. If if not, if it doesn't have to happen at that point, he's he's clearly setting him up to ruddy to hell. Die. My yeah. take on that was that they'd get back together and run away and live in a secluded desert island somewhere with all the money, all the money. Mm, also possible. Uh, at Pie Man nineteen sixty nine asks, how did the Invisible Man get the knife into the restaurant? Restaurants in- have knives in them. 
It's the knife. It's, it's, but her, it's the oh, knife that's hurting. Knife. Although um, he does slam it into her hands okay, as well. What if he put it between his, you know, his arm? What if he put it between his arm and his leg? So it would be entirely covered by the suit. So it was like under his under his armpit. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or in his hand. Yeah. Next to his leg. Yeah. yeah. Covered. He could have been non-invisible and planted it in there a few minutes earlier. Or is that ridiculous? Mm. I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't bump anybody on his way to the table. It wasn't the most spacious. You're crazy. Crazy person, Alex. Crazy. Anyone else see that? Uh, at Starman LFC asked, last question, was it just me or the Invisible Man after Cecilia's sister's death wasn't really that scary? I think it's just you. I was yeah. really scared. Boo to you, sir. Boo. Also, I don't think it's... I, I, I think it's kind of meant to be more of a fight back at that point. It's meant to be mm. more about getting into Cecilia's head and and having her slowly kick his his uh, invisible ass. And I think that's why, yeah, the film seems to shift gear into a slightly more action-y mode. It's, it's after that point that you get the um, sort of fight in the hospital. And I think that's partly why what makes the film really good is that it, it does shift gear slightly. It's still really tense towards the mm. end, but it's moved away from that, oh, is he there? Do I know if he's there or not? What's he going to do? Because it's sort of played that idea out for a while and then it morphs into something different as the stakes increase. And actually it doesn't go straight to fight back. It goes to a moment where you almost think are they going to leave this on a massive downer? Mm. Is he going to win? Like I I genuinely, you know, because upgrade, you know, we've already spoiled that, we can (laughs) do that. But I I genuinely thought that might be the ending for a moment there. So that was kind of, I thought, effective that then you're like, oh no, there is hope again, thank God. (laughs) Someone's pointed out that Adrian works for the same company, maybe even owns the same company as... uh, as uh, that produces Stems, stem yeah. in upgrade, so Whoa. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's just, I'm sure it's all coincidence. Whoa. I'm sure it's all coincidence. But anyway, there we are. There we are. There we are. But anyway, there we are. That is it for our the Invisible Man spoiler special. Our next spoiler special. Well, it's tricky because the one we're about to record next, Color Out of Space, has already come out. So hopefully you've already heard that one. And we're about to record one in a, in a week or so for Onward, but that might come out before this. So then hopefully the next spoiler special after that, we're going to try and do something slightly different here. So the next spoiler special might well be a walk through the magical, wonderful world of Sam Raimi's Darkman with <laughs> me and Karen Hardy. Wow. No. So, yeah, so we might be trying that. See how that goes. Do keep people for the next Border special, but until then, until we meet again, it is goodbye from Alex Godfrey. <sighs> <laughs> Alex is gone, everyone. Have you? <laughs> that was really weird. Just breath over the microphone. I've gone. He's gone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm invisible, but I'm no longer here. It's goodbye from Ben Travis. That's me turning on a hob. That was quite a good impression of a hob. Do you You're think? like the guy from Police Academy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll stop. Like, Police Academy was a series of films made in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gone. Bye. Ben's only seen the family-friendly ones. Aww. Yeah, bless him. Uh, it's goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. Toodaloo. No invisible shenanigans, Helen? <laughs> no, sorry. No? No. No time for that shit. They're too scary. I don't like I would, them. I would never do invisible shenanigans. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to... Wait a second. What is... Oh! Sorry, oh God, sorry that's me. The knife's in Helen's hand. <laughs> and she wasn't even trying to be invisible. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Enough See you enough. next time. <laughs> enough is enough. That's really... Oh.